Welcome to You Are Not Broken, the only podcast that combines science, medicine, and psychology to re-educate your brain and help you live your best love life. And I'm your host, board-certified female urologist, Dr. Kasperson. You guys, I'm so excited today to talk to an ob Dr. Charles graduated from Drexel University School of Medicine in the early 2000s, and then she went on to train at Beth Israel Medical Center in New York City. In July 2005, Dr. Charles joined the Army and served as active duty military physician at Fort Riley, Kansas. In 2007, she was deployed to Afghanistan in support of Operating Enduring Freedom. She returned from Afghanistan in 2008. You can follow her on her Instagram at Meadlin Charles, that's M-E-E-D-L-E-N, Charles, C-H-A-R-L-E-S, and she's started Starting a new website, yourpostpartumjourney.com. We're so fortunate to have her come today to talk about one of her favorite things to talk about, which is the postpartum journey. Thank you for coming. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. This is going to be fun. So let's talk about postpartum. What can you define it for us? Well, the postpartum is basically right after you deliver. Pretty much until, well, you know, most people think it stops after, you know, six weeks by the time you go back to your postpartum visit with your doctor. But nope, it doesn't. Usually the whole postpartum period is the four trimester can last anywhere. Usually we see about 90 days because that's how long it takes sometimes for most of the changes of the physiological changes of the pregnancy to go away. But so many of the complications that can arise in the pregnancy, you can still have effects of it like up to a year. So really what I want to do is to be able to help women from the time they deliver, like, you know, at the end of the the third trimester as well, too, to kind of like give them some tips on how to deal with all the changes that are coming up, up to like a year after they deliver the baby. Because that's how long, you know, if you have any issues that it will take most of the time to resolve. Perfect. So they really call it the fourth trimester, but that trimester Mm -hmm. can last a lot longer than just the three months. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think yes, it's it's yes, such definitely. it's such an under acknowledged area because I think you you know everybody's used to the six weeks follow up at OB guy and after the baby and it doesn't mm-hmm. stop there and I think a lot of women don't know what they're experiencing is because it's the specific postpartum challenges. No, it's not. And we've been trying ACOG, which is the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, has been trying to find a way to get women to come in to see their OBGYN a little bit earlier either at two to three weeks, but the insurance companies are not paying for that extra visit. You know, so a lot of times it's kind of like bundled up into the whole prenatal care. So many providers are not even getting their patients to come in if they have issues. Sometimes if you have a C-section, for example, they'll have you come in to do an incision check or and then come back again for the five or six weeks postpartum visit. But most people, they're not doing it because the insurance company is not paying for it. So we're trying to really get patients, especially if they're high risk, we know if they have an increased risk of, you know, depression, anxiety, or they have high blood pressure or other problems to come in at two to three weeks. Or so we'll do telehealth. It's, thank God for COVID because nowadays it used to be that you couldn't even get telehealth to even be paid for. But nowadays you can actually get, you know, some eyeball on the patient and talk to them even before, even if they don't come into the office to actually see you. Totally. Telehealth is great for a new mom. She doesn't have to worry yes, about bundling is. things up and getting them all out. And yes. oh, that's yes. telemedicine is yes. fabulous for that population. Yes. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I remember when I had my kids, I was ready to go running out the door and then somebody pooped or yeah, the milk, you know, whatever. And the next thing you know, you're late for your appointment. 
you know, with telehealth, you don't have to worry about it, you know, and you can just kind of stay in your house and then still be able to see your doctor, which is a fantastic, you know, a fantastic thing right now with COVID. Yeah. I love it. So what are some common challenges in the postpartum period? Well, there's so many things, really. What happens is that patients, one of the new, really, when you think about it, they've been waiting to basically have this baby that come in into their household. And then all of a sudden they were a couple, especially for first time parents. And then they go home and they have no idea exactly what to do. They don't know how to breastfeed. They don't know how to deal with the tiredness. They don't know all how to hand express, for example, if they're having any problems with that. All of a sudden they're peeing on themselves because they're having, you know, stress incontinence, you know, and uh, they're having like breast infections. You know, they have low libido. They don't want to talk to their partners. They're having postpartum depression. And none of that information is actually talked about during the prenatal care most of the time. So, so many of these women are feel they, they are less equipped to really deal with all the changes that are there. So, you know, what I, you know, I love to educate my patients because I think if you're able to educate them, I think you can kind of give them the powers, the tools to empower them to kind of like help themselves. So that's one of the things that I've been trying to do lately is to kind of like focus on that population and be able to give them the tools so that they can actually make informed decisions to be able to help themselves as well. Yeah. Awesome. Why does depression and anxiety go up so much in the postpartum period? There's a few risk factors. I mean, so many times what happens is that I, you know, when you think about it, many patients may end up having difficulty during the labor. I, I just talked about like traumatic birth, for example. So many women can have like birth trauma associated with the delivery. So sometimes that can lead to it. Sometimes also too, they have this fantasy of having the most beautiful delivery and they have the birth plan and I'm going to go in and and then come in five centimeters and I'm going to feel no pain and I'm going to have a quote unquote natural birth. And which by the way, ladies, whether you have a C-section or a vaginal delivery, it's still natural. Your baby's coming out of your body. It's still fantastic. But a lot of times people have so many high expectations of what you know, delivery is supposed to be like, they get disappointed. And sometimes also to, you know, so that can lead to when you're, you have so many disappointments, you can actually end up having postpartum depression. Plus also you have the fatigue, the tiredness, you're not able to sleep really well. Your baby is not breastfeeding because you wanted to breastfeed exclusively for, you know, a year. The next thing you know, you're not producing any milk and you don't know exactly what to do because you don't know exactly who to go to because your friends don't know you the first time mom, you know, and your mother is telling you this witch story, this other person is telling you what to do. So you're confused and you're not seeing your OBGYN. So, you know, that's another problem. And so many patients also do, they have an increased risk of having postpartum depression and anxiety if they also had it before they were pregnant. So those patients, they also end up having so many issues as well, too. I think that what I'm hearing is just the incredible role in you empowering women to be like, these are common things. This is kind of a a part Mm -hmm. we actually kind of expect after childbirth instead of women feeling like they're the only one or that they're broken. I think there's a, no, lot, a lot of power in, in women in women saying, oh, this is kind of part of the complexity of creating a new human. Exactly. Exactly. You know, because I think what happens is that people feel, I don't know exactly, they, they feel like they're alone. Nobody else is going through it. And I think if you know that, and nobody talks about it too, by the way, 
you know, people come to your house, they always talk about the baby. How's the baby? How are you? And nobody asks how the mother is doing. Mm-hmm. You know, all of a sudden, when you were with your belly, people thought you, you look beautiful and you were the center of attention. And as soon as the baby is born, you relegate it and then everybody's looking at the baby and you're no longer that person anymore. And you don't feel like yourself, your body, you know, people who have like body image issues, et cetera. It's a very complex issue. And because we don't talk about it. You know, this month is National Suicide Prevention Month, and people don't even know that there's a lot of, there's like 25 to 34% risk of actually having postpartum suicide in, in the postpartum patients. And it normally tends to occur, the highest risk is between the 6th and the 12th month, you know, of, wow. you know, of being postpartum, not necessarily like in the first three months, the first six weeks, because again, you know, your issues can last up to about a year or so. And that's a big issue because, again, in some communities, in some cultures, it's not easy to talk about because you don't have anybody to go to because nobody else is really talking about and they're not telling you, hey, it's been three months and I'm still, you know, peeing on myself every time my cough or sneeze. Is that a problem? Or I try to have sex with my husband and it, it hurts. I don't want to. Or he wants to, but please. I'm too tired. You know, I don't have like any desire at all. Nobody talks about, so they think it's only a problem that they're having and therefore nobody's talking about it and they do not go to anybody else for help. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. And I see a lot of just kind of a a weak pelvic floor that has just been stressed for so long, let alone a vaginal Mm -hmm. delivery. And they just feel like heavy or almost like when I go up the stairs, things just feel kind of like they're going to fall out. Just a very uh, unsettling Mm -hmm. feeling for a lot of women. And they they don't Mm -hmm. know that 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 can happen. Yes. Yes, it's very true. And from the pregnancy hormones, yes, that can cause that. It's helping you to carry the baby. But unfortunately, it has some bad side effects as well, too. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about pain with sex postpartum. What are some what are some kind of tangles and knots with that conversation? Well, there's a couple of reasons why you could have pain with sex. One of the main reasons is vaginal dryness. Okay. So what happens during the pregnancy, your levels of estrogen and progesterone are very, very high. And as soon as you deliver, they literally plummet. So I have patients who come to me and they tell me they're having hot flashes and night sweats as if they're actually in perimenopause or postmenopause already because of the gradient of the hormone. They were so high and now they are so low and then their body has to get adjusted to it. So a lot of times what the estrogen normally does in general, it, it helps you with vaginal lubrication. And so if you are having low estrogen, you have vaginal dryness, it's going to cause painful intercourse. So a lot of times patient will tell you they've tried, but it hurts so much because they feel like there's pins and needles and like burning irritation and they don't want to anymore, you know, and that's for people, whether they've had vaginal deliveries or cesarean session, because the same thing will happen hormonally where you have a decrease in estrogen level. So that's one thing. So obviously the way you would want to, you know, treat that obviously would basically be some lubrication, which we can talk about. And I'm sure you've talked about that as well as depending on exactly how bad it is, you can actually even give some patients, you know, some vaginal estrogen depending on how bad their symptoms are in order to help during the postpartum period. And that level can actually, when you're breastfeeding, it's actually a little bit worse sometimes because the breastfeeding patients 
their level of estrogen will continue on declining secondary to the hormones of breastfeeding. The prolactin will continue on making the estrogen much lower during the whole time that you are breastfeeding. So those patients, it's even a lot worse for them. So that's one reason. The other reason as well, too, is that if you had a vaginal laceration or a tear and it was repaired, sometimes the tissue, it's never going back to the same tensile strength that it was before. It can be very tight and everybody heals a little bit differently. So there's like obviously different types of lacerations that you can have. So depending on the type of laceration and the way that you heal, you know, you have to really examine the patients you to really feel exactly where they feel pain and then be able to kind of like help them so that when they end up having intercourse, if they don't have any type of vaginal dryness, it might be just kind of like areas in the pelvis, in the vagina, that's basically being triggered depending on the type of position that they're having intercourse with, that is causing pain as well. So that could be another reason for why they're having discomfort. Yeah. So those are the two main reasons for painful intercourse. When you have when you have a woman who's breastfeeding who has vaginal dryness because of that, what kind of timeline do you tell her as far as after you're done breastfeeding, how long does it take for mm-hmm. the hormones to kind of rebalance back to a good estrogen status? Usually I would say it depends on everybody, but usually I would say a good four to six weeks. I would say it shouldn't really take that long, but, you know, in order to really be able to kind of like see the effects of it in the vagina, you know, I would tell them to at least wait that long, but they don't have to wait that long as if it have sex. But, you know, you want to be able to, if they've been using some kind of like either estrogen cream or vaginal lubrication, you know, it's, you know, they've been kind of like using also some moisturizers because sometimes I tell patients to use moisturizers in between intercourse as well too. They really shouldn't be able to, you know, have to wait that long in order to kind of like get their estrogen levels back to normal, you know? Perfect. As far as non-hormonal vaginal moisturizers, do you have a couple of your favorites that you repeatedly suggest to people? Yes, I do. And one of them is my favorite because I listen to you, (laughs) which I need to order. But actually, it's funny because I don't like the water-based lubricants as well, too, because they're so tacky. And anyway, and I find that, again, they don't last. So, but some patients, they don't like it. So I always give them as an option, but usually I tell them to use for my, my postpartum patients, especially if they're using some form of birth control that is not condoms or anything like that. I like the oil-based lubricants. You cannot use them if you're using any types of condoms because they will break down the condoms. But I find that they work really well. My favorite, which is coconut oil. I love it. I usually tell patients to buy three jars. Okay. Cause you cannot, you know, mix the jars together. <laughs> One for the kitchen to cook with. Okay. One for the bedroom because you can use it as a good moisturizer for your skin as well as your hair and one for the bedroom, you know, so it's great. Okay. And then obviously you can use kind of like any type of like silicone lubes as well too. And obviously those feel very silky and smooth on you and they tend to last a little bit longer. So you don't have to actually start, you know, reapply or anything like that. So those are very good. Yeah. Perfect. I know. I'm As I've done this more and more, I've just gotten this disdain for KY jelly. Because <laughs> oh, no. it's just jelly, everywhere, no. right? Like it's everywhere. Oh. And so that's what people get when they go to Walgreens or Rite Aid. And I'm just like, oh, you're using like the Betty Crocker of cakes and you, yeah. you, you want really good. I'm like, you're worth more than that. You're worth more than KY jelly. <laughs> No, that's, I do not tell my patients to use KY jelly. So my patients like Astral Glide for some reason, but like KY jelly for some reason, I don't like it because people come to my office and they actually complain about it, you know? Yeah, so then I'm totally. like, why? 
Yeah. yeah why? No. And no I never point. see yeah. the people. I always joke like I'm totally biased because nobody ever just comes and they're like, just want to let you know I'm fine. KY Jelly works great. <laughs> like I always see the people. I always see the people where they're like, I still have trouble even though I'm using KY. <laughs> and I'm like, you deserve more than that. We're going to get you some yeah, high quality no. stuff. Yes. 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 I and I'm it. definitely going to go and do Uberloop. Yeah. yeah Uberloop's so lovely. Yeah. I have so many I happy know. people on that. Oh, mm-hmm. so good. Yeah. How great. do you utilize mm-hmm. physical therapists for the, the scar with the episiotomies or that kind mm-hmm. of that pelvic heaviness? When do you tie in a pelvic floor physical therapist for postpartum issues? After when I examine my patients. So after when they come in for their postpartum visits, you know, you examine them to see exactly if they've healed, you know, like you don't see they've completely healed. And they've tried intercourse, which again, I always tell patients they have to wait until they're ready. You know, postpartum intimacy does not necessarily mean that it means intercourse. It can be other things. So they have to actually feel ready to do it or have penetrative sex themselves. So then once you examine them and you, you know, it really depends. So if they have, and they have like triggers, trigger points in the vagina, or I touch certain areas and they're having pain, at that point, I would refer them to a physical. We have a, a physical uh, therapy. We have like a good consultative service in our hospital that my practice uses. My practice uses, and they're really fantastic. And they've been able to help our patients really greatly. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I love, I, I use them all the time for the same stuff because I think we need help healing, right? And we can't always do right, it on right. our own. And, yeah. and I think a lot mm-hmm. of women think of it as like, oh, I have another appointment I have to do. I've got this new baby. But it's like, no, this is actually what we need to heal to get you Very functioning. Important. Yeah, as mm-hmm. fast as, you know, mm-hmm. as quickly as we can so that you can just get on to doing all the other things. Right, right, right. Yeah. And also, so I use pelvic floor therapists for my patients as well who have not only seen four intercourse, but also the ones who have stress incontinence, you know, when they're leaking postpartum as well, too. So if those types of patients, you, they've done Kegel exercises, which is, again, hard to do after a certain point or they don't know exactly how to do it. I, you know, try to teach them in the office on how to do it then I want to send them to the pelvic floor therapist. They do a pretty good job of examining the patients. And, you know, within a couple of visits are able to really teach the patients on exactly how to perform them. And my patients have had really good success rate on making sure that they get their pelvic floor back to pre-pregnancy levels, which is, you know, great, you know, and they've noticed because again, people don't talk about it, you know, and you have to ask those questions. And I think that's, that's the issue mostly. What, let's talk about low libido. So you have a baby, you're sleep deprived, mm-hmm. you've, your hormones mm-hmm. are crazy, and you don't want to have sex. Let's talk about that. <laughs> That's a good one. It's so funny, and it is so common. And there's so many reasons why. I mean, obviously, you know, again, the hormonal changes. Okay. The first thing that, again, that happens, the estrogen and the progesterone, they plummet. You have a decrease in estrogen and you have vaginal dryness. So if for some reason, some patients, if they have pain, they may not necessarily want to have sex the next time around. Okay. So that needs to be taken care of first in order to basically end up having desire to have sex. Because if you're not going to enjoy it, why do it? You know, because it's like one more chore on your list that you have to do on top of everything else, you know? So that's one thing that can occur. Also to patients have, they're very tired. They are the mommy now. They are, you know, they're going back 
to work. They have to deal with being a new mom, going back to work, leaving the baby at home. They're still breastfeeding. And no matter how much we, we think that we can do everything, the dad, they don't necessarily do as much as we do. Because I remember when I was breastfeeding and I went back to work, I was able to take three months off. But I had like three bags. I had my computer bag, I had my breast pump, and I had my purse. You know, so imagine going to work and you have three purses. So these are all the little, you know, hats that you're basically wearing. And you're going to work and you have to function at work. You're thinking about your baby. You're watching your baby on the monitor with whomever. And you come home after a hard day's work and you're tired. You still have to cook sometimes yourself. You still end up having to do all of these chores. Your husband may want to have sex. And and then if he didn't help out doing anything else, it's, again, it's one more thing that you have to do. And yeah, it, it may be on the back burner, you know, so a lot of times that's also an issue as well, too, with some patients. And I have also what we do, some patients are depressed. If you are depressed and you're anxious and you have issues, you know, sex is not really foremost in your thoughts. So they're going to have also a decrease in libido as well. And they're not really going to want to have intercourse. And usually those are the most common reasons for why patients or new moms in this case, we'll end up having some issues. And, you know, we need to understand that and we need to, uh, you know, really be aware of it. And one more thing, which is, you know, what oxytocin is when you, especially for those moms who are breastfeeding, it's called the love hormone, the feel-good hormone, which I love. And if you really think about it, like, you know, you're supposed to, which helps actually, because it helps you to bond with your baby postpartum. But if you're getting all this love from your baby, and, and everything. And, you know, why do you want to get it from somebody else? Anyway, so that's what I think. So that's also one of the reasons why I think sometimes it may be a little bit difficult, you know, so it's multifactorial. Totally. I think the, the breasts, which are usually can be a sexual organ for a lot of women, their identity mm-hmm. changes too, right? They become utilitarian. Yeah. Yeah, and they yes. become like yes. I'm using these for feeding. I just they don't mm-hmm. want to be touched for anything else right now. So sometimes you have to adapt right. what you're used to to be like, okay, mm-hmm. that's going to be off limits for a while. What else can we do to to make right. sure it's right. a pleasure? Yeah, and sometimes you know, it, it, and, and patients will actually leak also to when they end up having intercourse, and that can be a turnoff for some of their partners because they don't want to associate breastfeeding with intercourse. Because again, it's a, you know, you're releasing oxytocin when you have an orgasm or, you know, again, the feel good hormone. So they don't want to deal with that stuff. So that can be a turnoff as well, too, for the men as well as for the women. So that's something that partners have to really be able to communicate with each other so they know exactly what makes them comfortable, what, you know, what is not comfortable for them so that they know what they can do. You know, you can use a towel, just use, make sure you wear your bra, you know, with some pads, nursing pads, you know, because if for some reason that's not something that is very attractive to you at that point in time, and that's okay, you know, yeah. Perfect. Those are such good tips. And I think really helping a lot of women realize that, again, you are not broken. These are common things that happen. And, you know, they're just new experiences, communication between partners too, right? Because I think if a woman thinks so often, I give and I give and I give and sex is just another way I'm giving, instead of reframing it as sex can be about you for your pleasure, your relaxation. Because if you're just Mm -hmm. giving one more thing at the end of your day, there's no desire for that. You're exhausted. Right, right. Exactly. 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 Mm-hmm. 
Totally. So tell me what you're going to do with when you get your website up that you, your postpartum journey.com. What's what kind of resources are going to be on there for women? I think what I'm going to do, I'm deciding whether to do a blog. I hate writing. I like to talk a little bit more, although sometimes I'm not so comfortable in front of the camera, but I love teaching. So I, I want to teach. So I want education is my main thing. Cause when I'm in the office, I I bring out my, I'm not a good, I don't draw that well, but I try. So I find good illustrations to show my patient what's going on, you know? So that's what I love. When they walk out of my office and they understand what's going on with their bodies and they understand why they're taking a medication, what's going on with them, I feel great. And that's what I want to do. And I feel that Again, in the fourth trimester, we don't have that support. So I will be able to offer people a way, a place for them to come in and get information, which I've started on my Instagram handle, and for them to be able to come to and be able to get some help. You know, I'm debating whether to do a Facebook group or not. I'm not really sure. And there may be some courses later on. But for now, just education that I want to do right now. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on my podcast, because this is definitely going to be a tool. And I think, you know, I I see you being a resource for other OBs too. of refer to you because it's going to be your one stop shop for kind of all of the information about postpartum. Any final thoughts you you. want to leave for our women? I want to tell the women that are listening again, just like you said, you are not broken. You are not alone. You know, we have to be able to talk to each other, talk to your providers if you have an issue, because trust me, there's tons of other people who have it and nothing is off limits, especially when you're talking to your OBGYN, because we hear everything. Okay, trust me, because I'm sure you've heard everything as well, too. So they're like, well, this is, might be a little bit embarrassing. And I said, oh, trust me, I've heard everything. I've seen everything. So talk to your provider if you have any questions, any issues, because we can help you if we don't know anything about it. And know that if you're having any problems in the, you know, after you deliver the baby, your body is not going to be instantly go back to what it was before you had a baby. It's impossible. And, you know, I want to see some of the changes that, you know, you know, I want to see my little stretch marks. I want to see that my hips are a little bit wider and, you know, you don't have to worry about, you know, the snapback phenomenon right now where you lose the weight so quickly or anything like that. Be comfortable in your own bodies, you know, so those things will take time. So give yourself time, forgive yourself, knowing that you have so much time to recover. It doesn't have to be done in a month or six weeks or anything like that. It can take a little bit of time. Beautiful, wonderful empowerment. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me.